We are, on our spiritual journey here on Sunday mornings, we're going through a survey of the Bible. Um, And I want to just talk about, for a moment again, why I'm doing this. I'm not doing this just so we can check it off of our list. Um, I'm really doing this to try to resource you to allow you to read your Bibles well. Um, So in addition to just trying to provide a survey um, of every book in in the Bible, one by one as we move through it, I've put a lot of resources, uh, we put them out at the Connection Center, and you you may not uh, recognize that, or maybe you're you're new. We have them all on our website. So let me show you how you get to them on our website. If you go to the Fellowship website, fellowshipconway.org, you'll see this page. Um, up at the top, if you'll just click on this section that says resources, um, you'll get to a place down here. It'll pull this up. It'll say sermons and more. Then there's another place that you can click there that'll get you to resources. If you click on the survey of the Bible resources, it's going to pull up what is for our historical books was 26 historical book resources. When we were going through the 17 historical books, uh, we went through them. I had 26 different things. Some of them are my charts on the on the books. Some of them are other uh, readings, but they're all out there. Um, we're now in the poetic books, and I've already got 13 resources for the poetic books. Um, some of them that are out there I want to highlight today. Um, one of them is um, this little study sheet. It's called The Proverbial Pathway of the Fool. All this does is take three characters in the book of Proverbs, the simpleton, the fool, and the scoffer. And it just lists every single passage where that person is mentioned. The simpleton is the young person who could be manipulated really either way. They can either go towards folly or towards wisdom. And it has all the verses. And I would encourage you to do this. Do this study as just a study of, hey, where am I at in my journey? In particular, because the book of Proverbs was written to young people, this is something that would really be helpful to do with young people that maybe you have a connection with. Maybe it's your children who are teenagers or grandchildren, um, uh, pre-adolescents, to just go through this study to see, okay, are you at this stage of being really the simpleton? There's, you're gullible. You could go either way. And, and the joy of that is you could move towards wisdom. Or maybe you're starting to move into um, this stage of being a fool, and there's, two, there's three different words for the fool, um, and, and it kind of graduates until you finally become the scoffer, and the scoffer is the person um, for whom only the grace of God. And so there's a study out there. I also have a section out there that's a, the one thing that's stapled together that is my summary of that study of the, of the three characters. Um, so those kind of resources are out there, and there's a lot more resources. I'm going to show you two more uh, during the message. But just want to encourage you to take advantage of those resources, because what I'm really trying to do is not just go through the Bible. <laughs> I am trying to do everything I can to equip you to read your Bible on your own. Study after study after study has proven that the most effective measure of a person's growing maturity in their walk with the Lord is their own personal Bible study. It's not listening to people like me. It's not listening to um, your favorite um, podcast radio uh, uh, pastor. It's your personal time in the Word. And so that's what I'm really trying to do is equip you with these messages and all these resources um, so that when you s- decide you're going to spend some time in the book of Proverbs or you're going to spend some time finally tackling the book of Job, um, that you have some resources that help you understand how you can engage with those. We are in this section in the poetic literature. Um, there's 17 historical books. There's five poetic books. And these books um, 
are written with the language and dealing with the issues of the heart and the soul. Um, this is not um, a lot of dates. Um, it's not a lot of chronology. Um, it's not a lot of historical background. This is really the issues of heart and soul. And these poetic books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, are the books we're looking at now. We've looked at Job, and we're taking them in order. Last week we looked at Psalms. Today we're going to look at Proverbs. We're going to take a break for two weeks, uh, and Shane and Michael are going to finish up their study through Ephesians, and then I'm going to come back and we're going to deal with Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Um, If I were to arrange these books... In the Bible, this is how they're arranged. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. That's how we're covering them. If I were to arrange them, I would probably put them in a slightly different issue. By the way, no one ever asked me about my opinion about this, so that's why they're in the order they're in. Um, And there's a good reason that they're in (laughs) that order. Um, Job is probably the most ancient and historical book, so that's why it comes first. Um, But if I were to arrange them, I think I would probably put them in, in this order. Um, the book of Psalms first, because it's just so vast and it deals with worship, prayer, and praise. I talked about that last week. But then I think the next book is the book we're going to talk about today, Proverbs, because it's really the foundation for how you deal with the exceptions that are found in the books that follow. Proverbs presents the foundation of how a well-crafted life is lived. It is the principles, they're not promises, They are principles, and any wise person will live by these principles, knowing that there are always exceptions like Job, there are always challenges like Ecclesiastes, and there are some very specific applications like Song of Solomon. But the basic principles are in the book of Proverbs. So even though we've covered Job and Psalms, we are now arriving at the book that really sets the foundation of this is, these are the, excuse me, the basic principles for how the wise person crafts their life so that they can have an impact and they can be blessed by God with his blessings and people will say they're blessed. There's actually three different Hebrew words that describe that in the book of Proverbs. A person is blessed, the the word there is barak, it means enriched. If you live this wise life, God will bless you. He will enrich your life. He He will fill it up with blessings, the word there is shalom, um, it's, it's fullness, it's wholeness, it's, it's how you want things to be. God will enrich your life with the wholeness of life so that people look at you and say, you're blessed. The word there is ashray in Hebrew. It means enviable. Um, so God blesses you with blessings and people say you're blessed. Um, three different words. God enriches you with wholeness and people really envy. They look up to the kind of life you live if you are following what's happening in the book of Proverbs. That's how all this fits together. This is wisdom for life. It is the key principles of wisdom for life. Okay, Back in 2020, and we're starting to hit some of these messages that I've I've preached recently. Back in 2020, and I did this again uh, previously back in 2004, um, I did 12 messages on the book of Proverbs. So you can find those online as well if you want to listen to a lot of the details that I'm going to try to cover in just one message today. Um, but, but let me set some background for what's going on in the book of Proverbs and allow you to read it. It's a real um, practical book. It's a great book, but I want to give you some framework for what's going on in the book of Proverbs. Um, Danny Hayes says this, as mentioned above in his introduction to the wisdom books, which is online, I gave you a summary of that introduction to the wisdom books. Proverbs presents the norms of life. 
Things that are generally and normally true, things that, no, that one should build their character around. For example, Proverbs teaches that by working hard, one will prosper and do well. This is normally true, and a hardworking ethic is certainly a foundational virtue that will help one to live wisely. But this is not universally true. Neither is it an unqualified promise from God. There are exceptions to this in life, as Job aptly illustrates. But let me point out really quickly, even though there are exceptions... And God may be using things to teach people lessons, and there may be just ways you're growing, or it may just be that that's how it happened in the world. Um, The wise person, even though there are exceptions, and there are challenges and there are questions, the wise person will live by these principles. The wise person will work hard. The wise person will be generous. The wise person will avoid conflict. The wise person will manage their resources well. All of that's in the book of Proverbs. It's not a guarantee. A wise person will train their children in the way they should go. That's not a promise that your children will always make the right choices. But a wise person will live by these principles. Okay? So that's what's going on in the book of Proverbs. They are Proverbs. They're principles. They're they're God's wisdom, and we're going to tell how they ended up in Scripture. I'm going to walk you through that. But these are the principles that any wise person, anyone who desires to to have a well-crafted life, that's what wisdom means, um, any person who, who wants to live that way will follow these principles. So let's start getting into some of our questions, which in, in this book become a little bit complicated. Who, who wrote it? When? Where were they? And, and why was this all put together? Um, l- let me talk about the who question first. Um, The who is Solomon. He's the instrumental person who puts all this together because he was known for his wisdom, even though he himself did not always apply it. Um, First Kings tells us this. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt, and his fame spread um, to all the surrounding nations. He was very famous for his wisdom, even though, particularly at the end of his life, he did not apply it himself. By the way, that's why, that's why we need Jesus. Jesus is the only person who perfectly applied the wisdom of God. Uh, this passage in 1 Kings goes on to say this. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that he composed them. Um, he, he certainly composed some of the Proverbs, um, but he, he knew them. It seems like it maybe is saying he could recite 3,000 Proverbs. He wrote a number of songs. Um, Song of Solomon is one of those. And from all the nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who heard of his wisdom. He was known for his wisdom because, and here's how I want you to think about this, he was a collector of wisdom. I don't know what you collect. I don't know if you know anybody who collects anything. Um, you know, Maybe you connect, collect vinyl albums. Maybe you collect um, seashells. I don't know what you collect. He collected proverbs. There were proverbs all over the ancient Near East. In fact, some people are troubled by the fact that there are some Egyptian proverbs that look exactly like our book of Proverbs, and they predate it. Um, So I just want to make it clear. Solomon didn't write down all of these things. He collected them, but all of that was guided by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In one of the articles I've got out at the Connection Center, just one page by Trimper Longman, he makes this point. The proverb was a popular genre in the ancient Near East. 
We find proverb collections in instructional literature that contain proverbs written in Egyptian, Sumerian, Akkadian, Aramaic. Proverbs are among the earliest literature known, dating to the first half of the third millennium BC, and they uh, persisted to the late periods of the ancient Near Eastern literature. There were a lot of proverbs around, and Solomon, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was a collector of all of these proverbs. He collected them. Some of them he probably wrote himself. Some of them he probably jotted down. But he was a collector of all of these Proverbs. Okay, so, so Solomon is instrumental, but he's the collector of all of this. So who composed it? Solomon was a primary contributor to the collection of the Proverbs. He perhaps wrote many and certainly collected others from around the ancient world. However, two other names in the book of Proverbs, at least two other names, Agur and Lemuel, um, are used to say these are collections of Agor and Lemuel later in the book. So we have Solomon collecting them, but at some point somebody pulled these other two guys, Agor and Lemuel, we don't know anything about them, but they had some Proverbs too, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they get gathered into the collection. So Solomon is primary, but there are other people who were involved. So Solomon, it says in 1, 1 and 10, 1, um, gathered all these Proverbs. In chapter 25, it says the men of Hezekiah collected many of the Proverbs of Solomon. So Solomon had them collected. At some point, hundreds of years later, um, the, one of the kings, Hezekiah, he assigned some of his people to collect even more of the Proverbs and begin to, to, to add them together. And so the, you get in the book, you're going to see in just a moment, a collection of Proverbs. Those co- that collection was then put together with a very clear introduction in 1, 1 through 7 that I'm going to talk about. There's an introduction in 1, 1 to 7, and then there's a very clear conclusion in 31, 10 through 31. And both of those are really essential if you're going to understand what's going on in the book of Proverbs. So Solomon is collecting Proverbs throughout his whole life. Um, the men of Hezekiah... They eventually say, hey, there's some more Proverbs out there. They gather them. Somewhere Lemuel and Agur get thrown into the collection. At some point, all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, they get together. We don't know when. We don't know who. We don't know where. And they said, let's put an introduction and a, and a conclusion to this. Now, the introduction and the conclusion perhaps came uh, from something that Solomon may have written. But it's, it's clearly set apart. Uh, 1, 1 to 7 and 31, 10 to 31 are, are clearly set apart as introductions and conclusions to this book. Um, Dan Estes summarizes what I'm trying to say here. In light of the textual evidence, it's probably best to view Solomon as being involved in the inception of the book rather than as the final compiler. The original sayings of Solomon, which may well have encompassed the majority of the extant book, the book that we have, majority of it is from Solomon, likely were edited and supplemented, at least at the time of Hezekiah, to claim more precision than that is to argue beyond what the evidence can clearly support. So here's what, here's what I know. Solomon collected. There's some other guys who did it. It's gathered together. Hezekiah put some more in there. That's all we know. But we do know that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's now in its final form. Okay. So, when were the Proverbs assembled? Well, because we know some people involved, I can say this. Many Proverbs were in existence long before the reign of Solomon, which is troubling to some people, but it just means other people had seen and made some observations, and they were wise, and Solomon collected them. But his collection would have likely taken place after he took the throne in 931 B.C., and had access to a vast array of literature. He had connections to these other kingdoms because he was the king of Israel, and he gathered them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
Hezekiah, chapter 25, verse 1, directed men to collect more of Solomon's Proverbs during his reign, hundreds of years later. And the exact date of the final form of Proverbs is unknown. Um, we don't know it, but we do know it was collected. And all of that is going to kind of fit together if you're going to understand how to read and what's going on in the book of Proverbs. Where were the Proverbs assembled? Well, they existed in the ancient world. Solomon collected them. He was famous for his knowledge. Um, probably people brought him Proverbs too, because they knew he was a collector. Um, so th- this is, it's in the, in the land of Israel, even though there are Proverbs everywhere else. I'm trying to not, I'm trying to help you not be disturbed by the fact that there are other Proverbs, okay? In fact, some of the Proverbs that we have, many of the Proverbs we have, are in a collection in Egypt that predates our book of, of Proverbs called the, the, the Wisdom of Amenhotep. Um, and just because it wasn't originally written from the hand of Solomon doesn't mean that God couldn't use it to get it into the scriptures. Okay, a couple of other questions. Why were these assembled? The book of Proverbs provides the fundamental principles for living in the creation theater. If you're going to live in this world, this broken world, these are the fundamental principles of how to live this way. The wise person will embrace this perspective and live consistently by it while acknowledging God's sovereign rule with respect and awe, knowing that there may be exceptions like Job and Ecclesiastes. You're going to live by these principles. They're so practical. But at the foundation of that, you have... Chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation upon which everything else sets. I fear, respect the Lord, and I'm letting him be sovereign and he's in control. So when there are exceptions or when there are things I don't understand, God is sovereign, but I'm still going to live by these principles and apply them the best way that I can. Danny Hayes' summary is really good. So Proverbs presents the norms of life, and the other books, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, focus on the exceptions. All the wisdom books need to be taken together to balance one another. Um, Proverbs without Job can lead to incorrect practical theology, as Job's three friends illustrate. Part of becoming truly and biblically wise is learning how to apply the various proverbial teachings in the book of Proverbs to the different contexts of life. The idea of wisdom itself is not just knowledge. Let me, let me say something really quickly here. Um, don't, don't hear this arrogantly, although it may sound that way. I might be the most knowledgeable person about the book of Proverbs in the room. Okay, I might be the most knowledgeable person. I'm not guaranteeing that's true. That doesn't mean that I'm wise. Wisdom is the person who applies it best. And I guarantee you there are some people in this room who apply the principles of Proverbs more consistently and better than I do. Wisdom is not about knowledge. Wisdom is about application. That's when you really become a craftsman in your life. When you leave a life that is a legacy that is worth following, that is enviable by others. It's not just when you know all of this stuff. It's when you actually apply it to your life. So there are a lot of people around the world, (laughs) a lot of people I'm certain in this room, who probably um, misunderstand some things in Scripture. But they are wise because they are applying the principles that they know. Um. And so I I want to encourage you, the book of Proverbs really is more about the application of all of this stuff than it is just about knowing it.
So let's talk about the content, how and, and what's going on in the book of Proverbs, okay? Uh, the book of Proverbs is pretty simply arranged. There's an introduction in 1, 1 through 7. There's a title, the Proverbs of Solomon. It tells you the purpose to make you a, um, a wise person who is discerning and who is disciplined. That's the purpose of the book. And then the motto of the book in 1, 7 is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, again, in 2020, I did messages on a lot of these things. Then in chapter, the rest of chapter one through all of chapter nine, there's a plea of a father to his son to apply the principles. Again, it is nine chapters of the father, probably Solomon, talking to his children who are going to be trained for leadership and begging them to follow the way of wisdom. It is done in some very creative ways. In chapter 8, um, he allows, in chapter 7, he allows Lady Folly to make a plea. And so Lady Folly goes and, and makes the plea for the young men, and, it, and he shows how it leads only to destruction. In chapter 8, Lady Wisdom makes the plea. In chapter 9, Folly and Wisdom make a plea, and he says, you have to make your choice. Are you going to go towards productivity or towards destruction? Um, so in nine chapters, it is just one chapter after another of a father pleading, find wisdom, value wisdom, fear the Lord. Um, and, and these pleas are, are just uh, ongoing and they're relentless. Um, it, it is a parent talking to their children and saying, this is the way to find life. That's why Proverbs is one of the books that you probably should be circulating with your children more often than some of the other books. Um, my guess is your middle schoolers don't need Ecclesiastes. Trust me, when we get there, you're going to go, yeah, they don't need that. But they need Proverbs. Um, nine chapters of it is just the parents pleading with their children, find the way of wisdom. Then in chapter 10 and through the end of the book in chapter 31, that's when the collections of what we think of as the Proverbs, the pithy statements take place. Okay. That's what's going on. You have an introduction, please define wisdom and follow wisdom. Then the collections of all of the actual things and then in, at the end of the book, chapter 31, 10 through 31, I'm going to show this to you in a minute. Um, there is a summary of how the book is to be applied, and it's personified as a woman. Okay, I'm going to say more about that in just a moment. But here's, here's basically how I see the book flowing. There's a chart out there at the Connection Center. You can get it online. There's a prologue that gives you um, the title, the purpose, and the motto. Proverbs of Solomon purpose so that you will become wise, which means you're discerning and you're disciplined. And then you build that on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. Then there's this nine chapters of pleads, just pleading, please, please, please follow the way of wisdom. Then there are the principles that are collected in 10 through 31. Then at the end, there's a poem that summarizes all of the practical applications of the book. Okay. Um, out the connection center, two of the resources I have is a very, very literal translation of 1, 1 through 7, okay? Um, the words for wisdom and knowledge and understanding, um, they are all um, very difficult to translate consistently. In fact, none of the English translations 
um, are able to. No, no one could do it because in, in certain sentences, it does, doesn't make sense to use the words always the same way. Um, but I, I want to highlight a couple of things. In chapters 1, 1 through 7, um, it starts off by saying, this is designed to give you wisdom. Hebrew word, chokmah. There's a, a, the, the first H has a guttural to it, chokmah. And chokmah is the skill, the craftsmanship, the art of living your life well. So the whole book is designed to give you this um, chokmah, okay? To give you the, the ability to live your life well, not just know a lot of things, but to actually make application of it. In order to do that, it requires two things. And I'm going to highlight just the three places that this one word is, is repeated. It's translated variously. It, 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 it's usually translated something like discerning um, or having discretion. The literal Hebrew word, I'm going to say it just because it, it, it helps me make a point. The literal Hebrew word is being. It means between. A wise person is able to do exactly this. They are able to discern the precision of that's a folly choice, that's a wisdom choice. They're discerning because they see sometimes the little bitty gap between the two. Isn't that what life is? A person who, who lives a well-crafted life doesn't make the obvious choices. The obvious choices are there, okay? The obvious choices, those are the easy ones. The wise person is the one who can see the little gap between wisdom and folly. Um, I'm going to give you an example in just a few moments of um, a folly choice that I made recently. Because I wasn't able to see the gap between it's wise to stay here, and it is unwise for me to walk over here. Okay? Now, it was, it was smart. It was smart for me to go on a vacation with my wife. That was beautiful. That was just great. Pfft. Who couldn't do that? But at one point, I made a decision to not stand in one place, but to stand in another place, and it was folly. I'll give you a picture of it in just a second. Wisdom is the person who has the skill, the craftsmanship, um, the, the artistry and how they live their life, that they're a, and I would say it this way, they're a betweener. They're really good at seeing the little gap. Oh, that one's stupid, that one's smart. They, they're a betweener. And the book of Proverbs trains you to be a betweener. You see the little gap between wisdom and folly, and then you are disciplined to make application of it. By the way, another one of my huge problems. Sometimes I see that's the smart thing to do, but I'm not always disciplined to make the decision. The smart thing to do is eat one of those. Mm, I don't always make that decision, obviously. The book of Proverbs is written to, written to give you, this is in 1, 1 to 7. The purpose of it is to give you the ability to live a masterful, artful life. And in order to do that, you have to become a betweener. You have to know enough and you have to learn enough from life and from the experiences of others 
that you see the little gaps between wisdom and folly, and then you're disciplined enough to make those decisions. And then all of that is based on the fear of the Lord. All of that is based on, but God's in control anyways. And God gave us this book, but God is sovereign. And even when it doesn't make sense to me, if God says do it, I'm going to do it. That's one, one to seven. That's the introduction to the book. Okay. The end of the book, I want to say something about Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, I've taught this numerous times here, is not about women. It is not a passage that is written for women. It is a passage that is written that is the summary of the application of the book personified in a, in a woman. So women, instead of feeling guilty because you, you don't measure up to the Proverbs 31 woman thing, here's what I want you to say. You know what? When they decided, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to summarize the person who applies the book of Proverbs, they didn't choose a dude. They chose a woman. Why? Because there's no good example of a guy who does this. If you would have put all of this in the example of a man, you'd just laugh and just go, that's so stupid. Um, But they chose to put it in the example of a woman. Because it's the summary of what it all looks like. And in fact, it's put in an acrostic poem so that they can memorize it. 22 verses in, 10, um, uh, in 31, 10 to 31, 22 verses, and each one of them begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Haik, Zan, all the way through, so that you could memorize it. A Hebrew child would memorize it, boys and girls both. Because this is the full application of if you really embraced trying to live a skillful life, being discerning and disciplined based on the fear of the Lord, you, you heeded all of the pleas, you knew all of the principles, this is what it would look like. So women, stop feeling guilty. You're off the hook for a moment because all of us are on the hook. Men and women both are on the hook to try to live out the principles that are in Proverbs chapter 10 or chapter 31, verses 10 to 31. And I encourage you, um, I've done this numerous times in the past, take that section and just summarize it and go, what are the principles involved here? They're diligent. They're generous. They work for others. Um, they're praised by others. Just do a summary of it and just go, is that reflect me? And if it doesn't, what are the corrections you have to make? So the book is introduced... With a clear introduction. And it's concluded with a clear conclusion that is the personification of the person who applies all of these principles. That's what's going on in the book. One more reminder, I'll have to do this with every message in the poetic books. Hebrew poetry, they're poetry not because they're rhyming sounds, but because they're rhyming ideas. It's called parallelism, and it will help you in reading the Proverbs especially because there's often two lines, and the two lines are in parallel. They can either repeat each other or they can be the opposite of each other. But just keep that in mind that they're, very often the two lines in the Proverbs are not trying to advance the argument. They're just trying to put it in a parallel structure. Okay. Now, let's talk about some very specifics here. The nature of biblical wisdom, chokmah. It's, it's skill, craftsmanship, especially in living your life. It's the fine-tuned application of knowledge. It's expertise in living. That's, that's what wisdom is. 
It's not just knowledge. I can't say that enough. It is the expertise of applying the, what you know and what God has revealed to your life so that people look at your life and they say, that guy is blessed because he's actually applying all of this. That's the nature of biblical wisdom. Um, it's used of um, the craftsmen who worked on the tabernacle. They had chokmah in building. It's used of uh, mariners on a ship. They had skill. In fact, this passage is saying their skill went away because the storm overcame their skill. Um, it's used of counselors who give wise advice. It's skill. It's craftsmanship. It's being able, it's being able to produce something worthwhile in your life. Um, themes that go together, um, Ed Curtis uh, says a number of things. I, what I want to highlight is, is what he says there at the bottom. Um, Proverbs values moral and ethical behavior. It values humility, discretion. That's the betweener thing. It presents two ways, wisdom and folly. There are always choices. That's, that's another huge thing in the book of Proverbs. There's choices, wisdom and folly. There are two ways. And it prioritizes application. It's not just memorizing, um, and it's not just understanding, it's application. The generous, humble, discerning person who makes application of these principles, that's the wise person. That's what's going on here. The function of a proverb, uh, a mashal, it's an object lesson built on an illustration that provides a choice between wisdom and folly. Um, It's an object lesson. Go to the ant, you sluggard. And learn the lesson. It gives you an illustration, and then it provides you a choice. Are you going to be a hard worker, or are you going to be lazy? It, it, it allows you to be that betweener. Uh, a proverb is, is a saying, okay? Um, I, I love to illustrate this with yogiisms. Yogi Berra, catcher for the New York Yankees, he was famous for saying crazy things. But it kind of gives you, it's, a, it's, a, it's an observation that gives you a choice. Now, Yogi Berra's were always funny. They were things... Um, like, um, you should go to people's funerals because if you don't, they won't come to yours. Um, well, I still think I should go to people's funerals. Okay. Um, but there's this choice that you were able to make and the proverb is written in a way to go, okay, now I've got a choice. How am I going to live my life? And all of that is based on the fear of the Lord. It's the reverential awe of God that both terrifies and attracts. It truly is fear, but it's not fear that repels. It's fear that attracts. I can illustrate this from Dawn and I's recent vacation. We were in Canyonlands National Park. We made the little hike um, to the upheaval dome, which is this thing, okay? Um, There's a couple of different possible explanations of it. Um, Most people think this is from a meteor, a meteor that hit, and when it hit, it created this thing that came up. In fact, when we were hiking back down from, from the viewpoint here, um, <laughs> we ran into some, um, a class from, um, from a college, and they all had these papers. And I said, what are you guys doing? And they said, you know, we're studying the meteor crater up there. Um, and I said, oh, for, for a class, that's really cool. And so they're all hiking up there, all these young college students. The last person in the line was this little bebopping little girl who was like a gazelle, literally carrying a pizza box. Um, up, up the hike. I mean, I'm using my poles to climb up there. I mean, I had my meniscus repaired last week, but I mean, I, I, I'm climbing. She's carrying a pizza box up there. Made me really mad, um, which is probably not wise. Um, but here's the other thing that was not wise here. This is the one place where Dawn and I had some um, 
intense marital fellowship. (laughs) This is where I should have taken the picture. But because I was in awe of this crater, I actually got closer to the edge. Okay? Now, wisdom says, can you know the difference between here and there? Because not only am I hobbling in in need of surgery when I got back, but, I mean, (laughs) Dawn, she told me recently, you know, when you have children, you're supposed to become a little more cautious in life. I don't know what your problem is. Um, But... I wanted, to get a, I wanted to get this picture of the crater. And so I walked right over to the edge. I mean, I, I walked right over to the edge to take the picture. Um, the hike down was pretty quiet. Because she kept telling me, don't go over there, don't go over there, don't go over there. And I'm just thinking, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. As I've got, you know, hiking poles to keep me steady. Um, but I wanted, there's two things here. Wisdom was to not go. But the fear is this. I was so in awe of this thing, I wanted to get close to it. I knew it could destroy me, but I wanted to get as close as I could. That's the fear of the Lord. He could destroy you, but it's not a a fear that says, I want to get away. It's a fear that draws you in. Maybe you've been to Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon. You, You want to get close to something. It's something that you want to get close to. The lion's at the zoo. You don't want to get in there with them, but you want to get as close as you can. That's what the fear of the Lord is. The purpose of Proverbs is to lead the one who fears the Lord to the attainment of wisdom and discernment, skill in living and being able to discern, being a betweener in your life. You have to have wisdom, chokmah, and you have to be discerning, a betweener. That's the purpose of the book of Proverbs. So as you're reading it, It's to to produce these things in your life. Dan Estes says, in sum, the purpose of Proverbs is to challenge the reader to attain God's wisdom, which is to appropriate his design for life. In specific terms, it endeavors to transform the immature people into wise people. It is written to children. Folks, this is the parenting book of all times. Nine chapters of it is pleading with children to find the way of wisdom. That's what's going on here. So what's the message Drawing on observations from the created order, the collection of Proverbs was gathered and arranged with a plea at the beginning, chapters 1 to 9, to embrace wisdom, followed by various collections of Proverbs, so that the individual would recognize the way life works and would change their lives, making application, to conform to the maxims presented and live practical, righteous, and productive lives in light of the fear of the Lord. That's what this book is designed to do. So what do we do with that? Okay. Where does all this fit? The wisdom of Proverbs illuminates the path to a productive life that leaves a legacy for others to admire and follow. It's craftsmanship. You produce something worthwhile with your life. And others look at that and they say, that person has been blessed by blessings and they are blessed. There's an enviable quality to your life. What should we believe? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All this is based on God understands this. Skillful living requires discerning character. It's not quick decisions. (laughs) It's slow decisions that allow you to see the gap between wisdom and folly. And the way of wisdom is the way of true life. So how should we behave? Anchored in reverence for God and his revelation in scripture and in Christ. 
Because Christ is the perfection of God's wisdom. Um, Not Solomon. Solomon collected all these things, but he didn't live it out. Jesus Christ lived it out. We should live as craftsmen, creating a life that's admired and leaves a lasting legacy. So what are some next steps? Um, I I would encourage you in a couple of different ways. Um, Read one chapter of Proverbs every day for a while. I mean, after a while, it'll it'll start to get um, where you kind of just go into a fog. But, but I would encourage you, read one chapter of Proverbs every day and, and change your versions up. Um, whatever version you normally use, make, make a different one. Use a different one. Make a plan for a family discussion of Proverbs each week. Maybe you just want to go through some of those pleas with your children. Maybe you want to do the character study of the simpleton, the fool, and the scoffer. Um, maybe you want to just um, go through and highlight some, some things in the book um, and, and talk about them w- with your children. Um, read it in a different translation. It'll, it'll be fascinating. I, I'd encourage you to read it in, in the message. The, the message really puts some of these things in ways that are really captivating. Um, last week, I talked about this. I talked about worship um, being two th- different things. Worship is always sacrifice and praise. Worship is recognizing the need for sacrifice to establish a relationship because I'm a sinner. And then it's praising God because of what he has done to establish a relationship between himself and me. And that is exactly what we're going to do here. Um, We're going to end our service with communion.